This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season, we bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together like-minded organizations who are focused on making disciples. Our goal in all of this is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. Now, you're about to hear a session from the Bonhoeffer Project, and one of the major emphases in disciple-making from the Bonhoeffer Project is helping you hone your understanding of the gospel that Jesus preached so that you can better follow Jesus and make disciples of Jesus in light of the gospel. They are clear-minded about false gospels out there and how those false beliefs affect disciple-making efforts. Their message is, get your gospel right before you're able to rightly make disciples. That's how they approach discipleship in general. Well, they've given Discipleship.org a primer to the book that the founder of the Bonhoeffer Project, Bill Hull, wrote. It's called The Discipleship Gospel, and he wrote it with Ben Sobels. And by the way, it's a Discipleship.org book, so you can download the free primer to this book at Discipleship.org slash ebooks and search for The Discipleship Gospel Primer by Bill Hull and Ben Sobels. Today we're featuring an episode from the Bonhoeffer Project and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called Disciple Making Gaps. This episode is called The Replication Multiplication Gap, featuring the Bonhoeffer Project team. Enjoy the listen. Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, Well, my name is Denny Heiberg, and I'm a part of the national leadership team of the Bonhoeffer Project. And it's my privilege this morning to to lead us in this session on uh, the gap of multiplication or replication. But before I get into that, you've been handed to some materials this morning. And so let me just remind you, if you have one of these cards... And if you've been here previously, all you got to do really is put your name on it because you want to you want to get a free book if you can, because we're going to give away some free books here uh, at the end of our session. So if you'll fill this out and then just pass them uh, to the third base side, my third base side uh, of the room, that would be great. And also you were given a an information card on the podcast that Bill has just launched. It's called The Bonhoeffer Show uh, with Bill Hull and B- Dietrich Bonhoeffer. How many of you have heard at least one of these so far? Tell me in a word what you think. And remember, uh, this is a church. You, th- you think that much of it, huh? You can't describe it in a word? That, you know, when my wife says to me, that's interesting. I don't take it well. <laughs> well, I hope that you will... Uh, at least uh, subscribe, click on, and, and join us in this journey. Bill has some great folks on there, and he, he covers a lot of other things apart from disciple-making, but that obviously is, is the key, all right? And then the goal of the Bonhoeffer Project in terms of uh, our teaching and training is for, for you to become a, a participant in one of our cohorts. And we have a list of those cohorts right on the table where Cindy is standing back there. And uh, these are the ones that have already signed on to, to launch this year. But if we get some people in an area of the country that we don't have listed, uh, we can do it either online uh, or we can uh, put somebody in that location, okay? So uh, please, please take a look at these. It's, a, it's about a 10, 9, 10, 11 month uh, process. You can't do it in three weeks. 
We're going to be talking about that in, a, in, a, in just a couple of minutes. And then finally, if you just want a, a summary of what we do uh, in a cohort, we have a, do we have some more of these, Cindy? Okay. We've got those back there. Kind of a, a summary of our curriculum. Well, how many of you in the room would uh, probably have your picture right here? today with this young man. I've, I've met one person so far that hasn't been here. How many of you are here for the first time? Great. All right. Well, for those of you that have been here, we're honored that you came back. Uh, but you can see by the number of hands, uh, we need to just back up a few moments and do just a quick review, okay, uh, for, for, their, for their sake. But before we do, I just want us to just to pause and remind, remind ourselves uh, why we're here, and whose we, who's we are. Okay, so, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for the beauty of this day. We thank you that we know that this day is a gift from you, not only the beauty of the colors outside, but the beauty of your people that we've been surrounded with for these past 24 hours. And in the midst of all the information and the the insights that you've laid before us, uh, Lord, we're, we're full, but we've come back again this morning for you to, to go deeper with us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would, would quicken our hearts and our minds and that you would be very present in this room, uh, speaking through different people, uh, using our, our experiences to bring about clarity and, and Lord, we ask that you would be glorified most of all. You are the King, Jesus, and we've come to pledge our allegiance afresh to you today. And we ask this prayer in your mighty name. Amen. All right. Uh, some of you may have thought, why, why the name Bonhoeffer? Uh, does that mean if I join a cohort? I, well, never mind. Uh, but why did we choose uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer? If there was ever a vivid example of obedience-based discipleship, it was this guy. You go back a, a few years, and of course there was John Wesley, who really, we're, we're, we're really copying what John Wesley did years ago in his societies and in his classes and in his bands. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you may not know that he, he took about 20 guys into uh, under his wing, and he discipled them. And if you've ever read the book Life Together, that came out of that experience. And so it, perhaps you've read The Cost of Discipleship, but his, his premier quote that we use time and time again is, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. And so in honor of him and his, his resolve to obey Jesus and make disciples at all costs, and as you know, it cost him his life. Uh, we want to honor him with this movement that uh, the Lord laid on Bill, Bill and Brandon's heart uh, a number of years ago. So let me kind of tell you what the Bonhoeffer Project is not, first of all, okay? It is not another timely program. Are you tired of programs being given to you in your church? Uh, I was as a pastor. This is not a, a uh, just something that came along, somebody got excited about it, and they want you to implement it, okay? It is not a timely program. It's also not a cookie-cutter package. In other words, 
we do not, if you come into a cohort, we're not going to try to make you like everybody else. It will be unique because it's not a plug-and-play device. Uh, I've got a lot of things as a pastor. I've pastored now for almost 30 years. And there were many things that I thought, I like that design. It, if it worked there, it can work at my church. But my church was different. Does that make sense to you? Uh, I, and especially because I thought I would play Major League Baseball uh, for a number of years. And apart from my lack of talent, I don't know why I didn't make it. But uh, when I saw Rick Warren's design, remember, the purpose-driven church? I thought that had to have come right from the, uh, the, the mountain top. But I, re- I became to realize, I came to realize that not everybody that came into March our church arrived at home plate or first base. Some of them were already at third base when they arrived. And so this is not a plug and play uh, program. And it's not an easy and comfortable church growth formula. In fact, let me just give you a warning. If you implement the process that you will design for your context of ministry, whether it's a mission context, whether it's a a church context, a community context, it will be unique to your your area of ministry, your context of ministry. It's very possible that some people won't, won't like it. They don't want to do the hard work. They resist the teaching that that says that I'm called to be a disciple maker as well, and they may leave. So it's not an easy church growth formula, and it's not a quick fix for for falling and failing attendance. All right? However, it is a tribe of leaders who long to participate in a disciple-making revolution. And... I hope you all know what I mean by tribe. There are some people that, and I've met a number of you, and and in just a few words, I realize that we're part of the same tribe. You may be part of a different uh, church tradition and denomination and context around the world, but I can see in your eyes and hear from your voice that we're we're singing the same song. We're a part of the same tribe. So the the Bonhoeffer Project is a tribe of leaders around the globe who long to participate in a disciple-making revolution. That's our goal. And then finally, we seek to turn leaders into disciple-makers. And if I could put a word in front of the the word leaders, uh, it might be dissatisfied, discontented, because that was my story. Uh, I had pastored about uh, 13 years, 13 to 15 years, and I was wrestling inside. Uh, I was depressed. I was discouraged. Now, on the American Church scorecard, I had checked all the boxes. You know the ABCs, right? Attendance, buildings, and cash, all right? All those were checked off, but I came to realize that I was not intentionally making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I was discipling people from a distance, but pastors, you cannot make disciples by preaching alone. It should should be one of the the centerpieces of disciple-making and complement everything that happens in your relationships, but you can't do it from a distance. As one of my, my brothers said, 
uh, he said, Denny, discipleship is a contact sport. I said, exactly. And sometimes that contact is, is a little painful. You know, the whole, the whole iron sharpens iron deal. And so in these particular breakouts, we have looked at what we call the, the disciple-making gaps. And the first one we talked about uh, yesterday was about the gospel gap. How many of you were here for the first one? Okay. Would you agree with me? And I, I know you think I'm paid to say this, uh, but is that not a game changer? Big time. Big time. And I had to come to grips when I went through the Bonhoeffer Project the first time that my gospel was not the king, wholly the kingdom gospel. I had, I had uh, various strands of the consumer gospel, uh, the, the forgiveness-only gospel, because that's what I was taught. I was never taught what you heard yesterday in four years of Bible college, in four years of cemetery, I mean seminary. I, I was not taught that. It wasn't made clear to me. I must have missed the class that had that in it. But you see, there is a gospel that contains the kingdom of God. Is Jesus not the king? I was never taught what Christ meant. I, I didn't, I knew it wasn't his last name, but, but Christ means the anointed one of God, the anointed king. And since I don't have a Jewish background, I, did, I didn't understand, nobody taught me that. But right out of the, right out of the book of Mark, this is the gospel of Jesus the Christ, the king, the anointed one of God, and he has come to bring the kingdom of God. And so, as, as Ben laid it out so, so clearly uh, to us yesterday, uh, the kingdom of God is, well, let, let, me, let me tell you a sto- quick story. Uh, I'm in my last year of seminary, and I just happened to glance at my bookshelf. And I, on my bookshelf, there were about that many books, this distance, that had to do with the kingdom of God. And all of a sudden, it hit me. I don't know that I could explain the kingdom of God to someone that would like to know about it in, in a fashion that they could remember it. And I was embarrassed. I thought I'd, I'd wasted all this time and money. I mean, I can, I can read the, the books, but uh, I couldn't explain it. So uh, one evening, uh, right before our three daughters went to sleep, I had two of them on one side of me and one of them on the other. And we were laying in bed and daddy had the book, uh, the, the Beginner's Bible, with beautiful watercolored figures and large writing in it. And I was laying down in bed, my arms extended as far as they could go, so I could read it without glasses. And it was the story about the parables, the kingdom parables that Jesus was telling in Matthew. Here's what the, the, uh, the Bible said. The kingdom of God is anywhere God is king. And I stopped. And you know, when you read to your children or grandchildren and you stop, what do they do? You know, if you're, they either do this or they say, come on, dad. Come on, mom. And I thought to myself, the kingdom of God is anywhere God is king. That is so simple. I could have saved a whole lot of money. 
And, and I think my, my classmates could have saved a whole lot of money. But it's anywhere, let me unpack it just a little bit. The kingdom of God is anywhere that Jesus is king of, of that conversation, of that act, that, that deed, that attitude, anywhere that the nature, the character, the heart of Jesus is is revealed. That's where the kingdom of God is, and that can happen. It doesn't only happen in a church building, and sometimes, unfortunately, it doesn't happen. But the king came to bring the kingdom. It's arrived in him, and he's come to bring the kingdom of heaven to us, and through us, we get to go into the world. So we talked about the gap between the gospel that we've come to believe and the true, pure kingdom gospel. And then we talked about the clarity gap. And uh, I was asking some of our, our brothers in here this morning why they came back. And one of the words that they used was the clarity in which they received the teaching in this last day. We've got to be clear what it means to be a disciple. And, and if you're in an area of leadership, let me just challenge you to do something with, with your leaders. Because I've done this when I go to, to train with churches. The pastor doesn't know I'm going to do it, but I'll say, I'll hand out a three by five card and I'll say, on one side, I want you to put the word disciple. On the other side, I want you to put the word church. So, so let's start there. What is the core mission of the church? I want you just to, in your own language, the core mission of the church. And so I give them about 60, 90 seconds. I said, okay, now flip it over. And then I say, I want you to give me a definition of a disciple. And again, the pastor didn't know I was going to, they don't know I'm going to do this. And then I'll ask him to uh, just, I don't want you to put your name on it. I want you to pass him, pass him up here. And then I tell him I'm going to send him to the Barna group. <laughs> no, I don't tell him. That. Uh, or sometimes I do, and they get a little nervous. But after the training session, I go up to the pastor and I hand him those, or her, whatever the case may be. And I say, I think this might be instructive for you. And it's, it's, it's shocking that teams can't clarify and be clear on what it means to be a disciple or what the gospel is. And so we're trying to close through the Bonhoeffer Project, the clarity gap. And then we talked about... Uh, the tribal gap. We have all different kinds of tribes in our, in our world today. And we want to in, in embrace them all and help them to understand what it really means to be an intentional follower of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to be talking about some gaps today. Uh, we've, talked, uh, we're, we've talked about the gospel, the clarity, and the tribal. We're going to talk about multiplication. Now, I, I'm going to give you some statistics and I, I'm sorry I don't have a handout, but this is pretty simple, okay? Exponential uh, has come up with uh, a level five, one through five churches. And back in, uh, I think it was about three or four years ago, Ed Stetzer and Warren Bird did a, did a survey across the, the Baptist world and beyond on these level five churches. And here's the first level. The first level is a declining church. So, a church that's, that's struggling. So if I can give an image for that or a figure, 
let's, uh, let's use this. A declining church is like this, okay? Now, then level two was a church that plateaued or was stagnated. So we'll just, we'll just do this right here. Now, you all know, you all know what I mean by this? Are you familiar with churches that, that decline? Uh, churches close every week, or they've just been stagnant for some time. And I looked up the word stagnant. It's not a pretty word. Uh, it means to rot, uh, to deteriorate. And then they went to level three, and they found that level three churches were addition churches. So for level three, let's use, let's use this, this figure here, a plus sign, okay? They grow through numbers, and let me just tell you up front, unfortunately, uh, the church that I pastored for 18 years was a level three church. We never got to level, to level four. Level four is a reproducing church. And what we mean by that is a church that uh, adds either services or sites and may even plant, plant new churches. So... For this one, we will use, then finally, and this is the one we're going to be talking about today, we have, well, before we get there, let me, let me back up. Would you believe that out of level one and level two, 80% of the churches in the United States fall in those two categories? So, as, as our sister from Barna said yesterday, I hate to give you the bad news, but I've been asked to give you the bad news, but I, I want to lay this out for you, because if you have to receive bad news and it's the truth, you need to know it. Uh, when, my, when my doctor called me and said to me, uh, Denny, uh, I'm sorry, but unfortunately I don't have good news for you. Uh, he loved me enough to tell me that I had cancer. I had prostate cancer. Now, it didn't make me feel good when he told me. And those of you that are uh, in that category, and I've heard that along with your name, you know what I mean, but he cared for me enough to tell me. And so we want, we want to share with you the truth, because that was a reality in my life, and I had to do something about it. But 80% of the churches in, in America are either level one or, 82, uh, uh, or level two. The addition churches make up 16% of the rest of the churches. In other words, they're, they're adding numbers. They're growing by numbers in their churches. And then, level four, the reproducing ones, make up 4%. Now, if you're good at math, how, how many percent is that? We're at 100. And so here's the reality. The level five... These are exponential growth through discipling followers of Jesus into disciple-making leaders. Let's use this as a figure for that, okay? Guess how many are in this category? Less than 1%. Less than 1%. Hey, let me interrupt for just a second so that you can hear a brief message from our sponsors. Here they are. Wouldn't it be great if someone who knew what they were doing, who actually had proven results, would just share with you exactly how to make disciples? Hi, I'm Doug Burrier, a decision scientist and a real-life disciple maker. 
This year I'm discipling six of my neighbors. That's crazy. They don't even go to our church. My friends and I made 1,392 disciples last year. So if you're tired of hearing the same old blog and keynote messages, droning on about the why, the need, and the theory, I want to invite you to hear the simple how-tos that have bunches of churches and hundreds of people making thousands of disciples all around the world. How to recruit, how to get them to love reading the Bible, how to transform them, how to run a meeting, like a real proven agenda, how to make individual disciples in a group setting, how to give people the wonderful, abundant life that God promised them. This is what I found in sustainable discipleship. It's not materials, it's not another program. It's a simple, repeatable set of how-tos. If you're ready for something proven, practical, and different, visit sustainable-discipleship.com. That's sustainable-discipleship.com. The team will be happy to share with you everything God shared with them. All right, let's get back to the episode. Of the U.S. churches. So, and, and perhaps I could, could help you understand what the difference between, between these three. Like I said, we were here and we never got beyond it. We were adding people. We had to build a new building. We had to make more services. But we never... We never reproduced, okay? We, we never birthed another church. So in this category, some of the largest churches in America are in this category because there's less than 1% that are here, according to, to it's, a call, it's called Viral, I believe the name of the book is Viral Churches uh, by uh, Warren Bird and Ed Stetzer. <clears throat> Now, what, what does it mean to be a multiplying church? It means that your church gives birth to a church, and that might look like a multi-site at first, but that church gives birth, their church gives birth, at least for four generations, okay? I think Shadanke said last year that in his, in his tribe of churches, they have counted to... 22 generations. That is a, a multiplying church. In fact, uh, Todd Wilson of Exponential said, they would have to put in a system to stop their churches from producing. I as, you know, if we can just get from here to here, if we can get people out of the building to reach another area, that's a win. If we can bring this up from, from 4% to 15, 16, 17, or 20%, America would be different. So let's take it within the church. When you and I uh, make disciples, we want to see them make disciples. And uh, you met one of our disciple-making pastors, Sandy Mason, yesterday. So Sandy, how about coming up? And Sharon, a little bit, and we'll, we'll keep on going, okay? Hey, buddy. I'm going to get out of your way. I'll sit back here, okay? Dennis was such a Yankee fan growing up that he actually uh, modeled his whole stance after Mickey Mantle, cut his hair like him. And, yeah, uh, I got a Pittsburgh guy here. That every time I see Pittsburgh Pirates, I think of Mazeroski in, in 60. Yeah. I, I went outside my house and cried. What can I say? Good morning. Welcome to our breakout. Glad you're here. Uh, we say this disclaimer all the time. I'm a pastor right now. I planted a church in Phoenix, Arizona 17 years ago. 
had a vision to make disciples. I met with uh, 12 guys, four each morning. So Tuesday morning, four guys. Wednesday morning, four guys. Thursday morning, four guys. We looked at the Gospels. This is what I want to do. I want you guys to invest in other men in our fellowship, and then they'll invest in other men, and we'll have this multiplying disciple-making thing that, frankly, I've never seen before, but I believe Jesus could make it happen. And uh, it started to happen, and then uh, we got a building. When we were just meeting in the school and we didn't have any facilities and any programs and it would just come to church and come to your discipleship group or your small group, it was kind of happening. But then we got a building and then we had to uh, have worship services. We had to have a children's ministry and a youth ministry and uh, suddenly making disciples got lost in the weeds. Anybody give me a testimony on that? Yeah, that, that centrifugal force of the church that uh, wants you to be about services and programs, and you can lose your way in making disciples. So I understand that you are up against something that uh, the, the wind's in your face, and you have to stand strong, and you'll never do this alone. So you need a fellowship, and that's what we're trying to do in the Bonhoeffer Project is help you know some other men and women that are with you in this adventure, and we'll gather at least once a year. We're going to have a West Coast version of this uh, in April, uh, discipleship.org is going to do their first West Coast version at our church, April 29 and May 1 and 2, and we'll do a little Bonhoeffer one-day pre-conference there as well. So if you want to get warmed up in April, come out to Phoenix. Uh, so I, I've had a failure and a few successes. I had a group of guys uh, in my church in Baltimore, uh, had five guys, had a Dean and Paul and Dave, and Kevin, I, I was the fifth. Uh, one of the things that makes multiplication so hard is that Christians will lie to you. You can say, this is a group where uh, we're going to have accountability, we're going to tell each other the truth, but uh, if they're caught up in sin, they probably won't. And so uh, uh, Dave was having an affair as he traveled in his business, and that finally blew up, and we lost Dave. Paul began to have an affair, but was so convicted about it that he did come and confess it to us, and we restored Paul, and Paul's part of playing in a church in Baltimore right now. Uh, Dean had already done all that affair and bad stuff when he came to the group, and uh, so he had seen the bad fruit of that, and Dean is still walking with men and discipling men in the inner city of, uh, of Baltimore, and Kevin is the uh, teaching leader for Bible Study Fellowship in Baltimore, African-American brother. But... Uh, it just shattered me that I had these two guys that were in the group, we're meeting every week, we're praying, how you doing, there's accountability, you're doing your study, while they were in a serious sin and looking you in the eye. So don't be naive, you know, uh, don't be naive. Jesus said there's four soils, one of them bears fruit. So don't get discouraged that You'll have people you're discipling, men and women, who will lie to you, who will fail, who will drop the ball, but there will be some, and that's, that's part of what this is about. How do I, how do I sustain a disciple-making movement? You've got to keep your eye out for that fourth soiler. Is that a word, soiler? Sounds like what the baby does, but yeah. That fourth soiler, uh, you've got to keep your eye out for that man and that woman that are, are hungry for more that no, there's got to be more to the Christian life than this. 
I told this story in the other session. I, I was saved off the Arizona State campus. You know, it's hard, to, uh, it's hard to preach the gospel in Arizona because hell is not intimidating. I mean, how much hotter can it get? So I'm at ASU, I'm a sun devil, I'm the frat prez, and I'm doing student government, and I'm a devil's advocate to going to high school campuses, telling kids why they had to go there. And I got this big emptiness in my heart of, is this all there is? So I'm just going to get a degree, and then I'll get a job and a wife and kids, and I die. Is this all there is? And uh, the nerd of the frat, Jeff Patterson, came in, and uh, it was a Kairos moment. Everything changed. I sensed the room getting thick, and he was a biology major, told me all the things I do when I drink too much and how many cells get replaced and how many don't. And da, da, da. Normally, I said, Patterson, get out of here. And uh, I was captured, and he said, if you died today, Sandy, where would you be? And uh, at first, I said, I think I'm a C minus. There's a lot of guys worse than me in here. I bet I'll make the curve. And uh, he said, well, I know. And uh, he got the four spiritual laws, that little summation of the forgiveness-only gospel. But it worked for me because I had been churched. I had been churched. I'd gone to church. I knew about Christ. I knew about the Bible. I knew about the cross. But I was so hungry. And that's the key to evangelism. Where are the hungry ones? That's why when you do evangelism, it's more about asking great questions than it is dumping information. Uh, the next generation does not want our information. They don't want church, but they're curious about Jesus, and they're curious if someone can give them some hope and give them uh, the truth that there's a God that knows them and wants to use them. So evangelism's got to be about asking more questions. So anyway, Patterson leads me to Christ, and I get zapped with the Holy Spirit, and suddenly it's like I've been wearing the wrong prescription glasses, and I understand now why I'm here and what I'm going to be about. And I lead my girlfriend to Christ four days later, and uh, now she's still my wife of 40-some years. Uh, so that's been a great adventure. But uh, I get dropped in a crusade meeting, Campus Crusade. Anybody get with me, Campus Crusade? And so it's wind, build, send, right? You've been one to Christ, you get built up to send you out wherever God takes you to win others to Christ, wind, build, sin. It's on the walls, it's in my DNA, and then I go to the church, and as Denny said, I, I find out over there in that church, it's sit soaking sour, and, uh, and yet God called me to the local church. How many of you are called to a local church? Are most of you church folks? Yeah. So uh, it's, your church is not the worst church. <laughs> And, and nobody's doing it just right. Uh, there's, it's just sin in the mix. And we got a lot against us. We have our, our own flesh. We have the devil himself. And then we have the churchianity culture that will resist the idea of people committing to a lifetime of obedience. So we, we welcome our adults into discipleship relationships in which we say, now there will be accountability here. You'll have to meet every week. You need to sign a, a commitment, a covenant that you're going to show up every week. You're going to do the homework. You're going to tell us the truth to your leader. And sometimes it actually works. Sometimes someone like Scott McVeigh. Scott McVeigh was an IBM sales manager. He said, Sandy, if you'd known me in, at IBM, you would not like me. I took pride in the fact that nobody liked me. I was an SOB, but I got the job done. And uh, he was playing golf with one of our disciples, and the 
the friend said to Scott, Scott, did you, you know what next Sunday is? I don't know, April, da da da. Scott, it's Easter. Oh, Easter, right. What's that? Why don't you come see? So he brought Scott to uh, our Easter service in the school, and Christ grabbed Scott. And uh, Scott began to meet with Glenn, and Glenn discipled Scott, and he said to Scott, and here's, here's the thing he said. It's what Jesus said to the guys in Mark 1. Follow me, Scott, and I will teach you how to fish for other guys. So right in the beginning, you got to put that in the invitation. Not let's meet, have coffee, have lunch, study the word. But I want to meet so I can equip you to meet with others. And I'm going to keep pushing toward that. In fact, we're going to start making a list of names of people you're praying for that you can start meeting with. So that's got to be right in the front end of this is not a dead-end meeting. This is not, we'll just be friends for life. We'll raise our kids together. Man, we'll retire together. We'll just be the best buddies, the best girlfriends. Well, that's true. That will happen. But we're really meeting so you can take the, uh, the baton and hand it off to the next person. So you got to put that right in the front end. And still, 75% will not pick up on that. Just know that. So you're always looking, well, Scott grabbed it. Oh, gnarly IBM mean guy Scott grabbed it. Christ began to soften his heart. He'd come out of church every Sunday in tears. What's going on to me, Sandy? What's happening to me? What is this? You know, it is Christ just breaking his heart. Scott now has... Uh, One, two, three, I think he's in his fourth generation of disciples who got the vision from Scott. I'm meeting with you, so you'll meet with John, so John will meet with Bill, so Bill, uh, but I I don't have a hundred Scots, I wish I did, you know, but I'm praying all the time, Lord, where's the next Scott? And one of the realities is that a lot of times, Scott isn't the well-churched guy or gal, you know, because they're so, those dear folks are so entrenched in a way of thinking about church and the gospel that you tend to get down the field further with that person who's come right out of the world and you lead them to Christ and you you bond them in thinking as a multiplying disciple. It's like my father-in-law had a little play ranch that we would go to in the summers and he had chickens and ducks and and one time, a little chick got mixed up. I guess the mama duck and the ducks came by where they were. the chicks were eating, and so the chick decided to follow the mama duck. And uh, mama duck took her chicks down to what? The, the creek. And uh, my daughters watched in horror as all the little ducklings hopped in the creek. And so the chick thought, well, I, I guess I'm one of these. I'll hop in too. And hopped in and started to go down, and my daughter grabbed little chick, Brought her in the house, dried her off, blow dryer. You ever blow dry a little chick? It just becomes this cool, round little yellow ball. Uh, put her back with the chickens. The next day, here goes Mama Duck, and here comes that dumb little chick. And what happened is she bonded not with her mom. She bonded with the mother duck. So she thought she was a duck. So you've got folks in your church see, that have bonded to a view of churchianity that resists the gospel of Jesus. So you, you don't give up on them. You work on them. You pound them in love through the, the pulpit and coffees and lunch and small group stuff. But 
do have your eye out all the time for that fourth soiler, right? Dan, that, that man or woman that you can tell has got a, a hungry look in their eyes that want more. One of the illustrations I've used, uh, and I'll use it again this Sunday because it's been a long week and I need to use something I've already got, right? So I'll, uh, I'll throw up a slide of a line and then a dot, and I'll say to my folks, now, that line is human history into eternity. So the start of the line, human history into eternity, how big is your dot? I mean, it, it's really a small little blip on that line. So you're, you're putting all your hope in that little dot. You want all your happiness. You want all your joy, all your success in that little dot. But look how much more is on the other side that's coming. So are you living for the dot or do you want to live for eternity? Because you see, when you die, it's you that goes into heaven, right? It, you, you won't be burdened by sin anymore, but it'll be you. Everybody thinks you get zapped and suddenly you'll be as mature as Denny Heiberg when you walk on the other side. No, you, you will not be burdened by this this tent of sin, as Paul called it, but it'll just be you. So it'll be a whole bunch of us in kindergarten and some in third grade. It'll be you. That's why this life matters. If you just get zapped and now you're this mature, godly man or woman, then what's the point of all my character work now? What's the point of solitude and fasting and saying no to my flesh now? Paul said, if you practice godliness... You practice godliness. You practice making disciples. You practice making a legacy. You practice saying no to all the things that your flesh and the world want you to give yourself to now. That will benefit you in this life and in the life to come because it's you that goes in the next life. You either, uh, Jesus, I never quite got the vision. Okay, we got to start over. Or you who will be welcomed by Mary and Jill and Beth, whom you discipled, who then discipled Susan that you never met, but Susan can't wait to meet you. Are you going to live for the dot or the line? But it's a battle, dear ones. It's a battle. Dennis, that's all I got for right now. So how do we, how do we close this gap, brothers and sisters, this, from, from this, this serious issue of, 80% of the churches in our, in, our part of the, in, our, in our part of the world, 80% of them either declining or plateaued, and, and then the next largest is only 16% of them really increasing, but within their, own, within their own church. How do we close that gap? If you've been with us, you know the answer is, is the gospel. It all begins with the, the kingdom gospel, the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. And uh, yesterday, as I was listening to uh, our speakers talk about the gospel, it, the, biggest hind- the biggest pushback that a person get- gives to, to the truth that is presented when we look at the, the gospel that Jesus proclaimed is that it sounds like a works righteousness, correct? I want you to turn with me to the chapter that gives us a beautiful explanation of the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, 
Michael, did I leave my Bible back there, buddy? Do you mind bringing it up here, please? 1 Corinthians 15. You know, through, through verses 3, I believe it's verses 3 through 5, uh, he gives the, the core contents of the gospel. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. And then he talks, about, he talks about Jesus dying for our sins, according to the Hebrew Scriptures, buried, rose again, according to the Scriptures, and then he, he what? He didn't just rise from the dead, but he, he appeared. And then he t- talks about a few other folks, and then himself. And then in verse 10, and I don't want to read it out of this translation. I want somebody to read it out of uh, either an ESV or an NSAV or whatever. Uh, one of those. Do you have that, brother? Okay, let's try ESV. Uh, verse 10. And look at it in your translation. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. All right, that's, watch how many times this word is used. That's once, by, the, by God's grace, okay? All right, that's the second time it's used. His grace towards me. Three times, thanks, brother. Three times he uses charis, grace. But did you notice in the middle of that, what did he, what did he say about himself? He sat passive as a spectator? No, no. He worked harder than anybody. In fact, the word literally means toil, to, to expend energy and effort. Remember, grace is not opposed to effort. I've come to understand in my, in my tenure as a pastor that most people think that God's grace is only to erase my guilt. It's only to erase my guilt. But really, God's grace is the fuel that empowers a disciple to live out her or his life in following Jesus. And, and just, this is, I, I don't have time to go into it, but you know that word toil? Jesus uses that word when he talks about us, that it takes effort for us to follow him. Uh, When one of the men that I had been discipling shared some of these truths with some men in his community, he was forming a small group. One of them said, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I won't tell you what denomination, but you could probably figure it out. He said, that sounds like works to me. And we're saved by grace. And I wish I was this quick, but Bruce said, well, does it take effort? Does it take work to make disciples? Well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> but brothers and sisters, this gospel that, 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 that resides in here, that somehow has been hidden from us, uh, reveals that Christ the King has come to bring his kingdom to us, and his grace is sufficient for us to make disciples. As, as uh, Christy said yesterday, there's two imperatives in that verse 20. I, I thought it was only the imperative verb in 19, make disciples, but there are, two ver- there are two imperatives. Behold, 
Lo, hear this, I am with you. In my case, uh, brothers and sisters, I was pastoring a very typical, uh, familiar, I might say, uh, United Methodist Church. I inherited. In our, in our, in our tribe, we're sent. And so uh, it was a very kind church, but I soon became aware that there were people that had positions of influence that apparently were not following Jesus by, by just what I observed and what I heard. And so if you fast forward a number of years, uh, the Lord was very gracious as I said, all the ABCs were checked, and I was being uh, patted on the back for increasing attendance in buildings and cash and all that. But I was dying inside because I was not making disciples intentionally. So uh, one day this thought came to me as I was considering a, an outline uh, of teaching for, for a, a class on a Wednesday night among some other people. Uh, this thought came to me, men only. And I chewed on that a while, and I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. And so uh, I, I titled the class, How to Use Your Sword Without Embarrassing Yourself, uh, for men only. And uh, about 18 guys showed up. I looked around the room, and I knew that they didn't know everybody in the room because we had multiple services. And so uh, I welcomed them. I thanked them. I said, I'm humbled you're here tonight, guys. And I have a, I have a plan for us, but I want to know why are you here? What do you need the most? And a guy over to my right picked up a Bible about that thick, and he said, you know, I've been told that I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader in my family, but, but my wife is way out ahead of me, and I feel like I'm holding her back. And I thought, if there would have been one woman in the room, he would have never said that. And fortunately, I mean, this was a, this was a God moment. A brother on the other side of the room says, I'm right there with you, man. And then it was like the kingdom descended. And all these guys were, were, were confessing their struggle with knowing how to use this book. And so I took them on a very a strategic and simple journey through the scriptures as to how to, how to use this book. And so by the time that we were, were finished, uh, they, they knew how to do a, a lesson plan, how to study and do a lesson plan uh, to to guide others in the truths of the scriptures, but they wanted to continue to meet. And so I said, let's do this. Uh, we're going to stop the Wednesday nights, but here's what I'll do. I will commit to meet with, with you 60 to 90 minutes every week, one-on-one, one-on-two, or one-on-three or four. And I figured I'd get five guys because uh, I still had a lot to do, and that would have been plenty. But I was so desperate that I was, I was about to quit the ministry because I was tired of running a religious organization. I didn't sign up for that. Long story short is 21 of them said yes. And so uh, don't ever do that. But I was desperate. And so I had about 12 to 15 appointments a week. And for the last two and a half years of my tenure there, joy came back into my soul. And people thought, you know, some people thought I might have been having an affair. I just had a smile on my face. <laughs> but that's what I signed up for. That's why God called me to this. And so something that I take with me to remind me uh, of this incredible opportunity that, that we're all called to. Uh, 
I have this little box. Have you, when you think of the word treasure, what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Gold, treasure chest, gems, you know, overflowing. Well, this is my treasure chest. It's small because I take it with me around the world. And inside this treasure chest is a, you know what that is? It's a relay. Anybody ever run relay and track in here? Okay. Oh, this will be great. You, you help me with this, okay? Now, uh, back in, in 2008, we, we had the men's and women's Olympic team uh, in the games. And something happened to both of those teams within 30 minutes. Now, before I tell you what happened, uh, the Bible refers to the gospel as a treasure. And I don't have time to take you there, but if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, between verses 4 and 7, you'll, you'll, you'll see this. And then Paul says that he has been entrusted with the gospel. You know, we find that in a number of his letters, Galatians and Timothy and so forth. And then he tells Timothy to guard the treasure. Now, I want you to imagine that, that this, and you can see something's on this baton. It's uh, engraved with 2 Timothy uh, 2, 1 and 2. And we've been using that verse as kind of our theme for the Bonhoeffer Project. Because it takes God's grace to strengthen us to do what Paul talks about in, in, uh, in verse 2 of chapter 2. So, this is the treasure of the gospel. And he says, Timothy, I want you to guard it. Now, when you hear, think of guarding something, I think of this, right? You just, you hide it. You lock it up because it's very valuable. But he didn't mean that. What did, what did he mean when he said guard the, the uh, I, I, I want you to guard this, this treasure? How do we guard something without hiding it? We, we hold it tightly. We protect its purity. Were there false gospels in his day? Are there false gospels? You, you already know the answer to that. So, I have engraved on this, as I said, 2 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. And I use it as, a, as an image of we have been entrusted with the treasure of the gospel, brothers and sisters. So, back in 2008, the women and the men within 30 minutes dropped the baton. Not on the first lap, not on the second lap, but in the exchange between the third and the fourth runner, what happened was it dropped and they, were, they lost. It was just one race away from the finals. Not once, not twice, but I did a little research the Americans were dropping the baton a lot in, in a number of world games. And I, I couldn't figure out why that was happening. Now, those of you that ran track, where do, where do our runners come for the Olympics? Where, where, do they, where do they run? Where do they train? All, all around the country, but they come together in what? Clubs, right? Race clubs around the, around the country. And where do they normally put the fastest runner? At the, he's, he or she is the fourth runner. We call that the what? The anchor, right? The first runner, all he or she has to do is what? Pass it, right? They've already got it. 
They've been entrusted with it, and they pass it, right? The second runner has to receive it and pass it. The third runner has to receive it and pass it. But what does the fourth runner only have to do? Only receive it. Are are you getting a little clarity? If I've only been trained and used to only receiving it, I'm not going to be good at what? Brothers and sisters, we're not running the anchor lap. There are plenty of people yet to hear the gospel, yes? Many of people to surrender to King Jesus. Many people to be trained, to be enlightened, awakened to the fact that it's not about doing church. It's about following the king with your full allegiance. So what we're about here at the Bonhoeffer Project is developing men and women who are leaders, who are discontented with the way things are going in their culture, in their church culture, and turning them into disciple-making leaders. Guard its purity. Don't let the enemy of our soul taint it with all of these other gospels that we've been talking about the last 24 hours. Protect its purity, but pass it on. Pass it on to those who, who God entrusts entrust to your care. All right, we got some, uh, we got some giveaways, uh, so we want to we wanna do that now. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to call, uh, call out some names of, of folks. You got your microphone? What would you do? Here it is. Michael Toll. Where are you, Michael Toll? All right, Michael. You never win anything, do you, Michael? There you go. All right. Mark it down. Today's your day, buddy. Haley Kesterson. How did I do on your name, Haley? Where are you? Haley? She left. She that it was a lousy seminar and she left. Okay. You got to be uh, present to Julie, win. Julie Eastman? Julie. All right. You never win anything. That's, everybody says that. All right. You've been here before and you kept filling out the card and now it finally paid off. Brandon Forsythe. Brandon? No way. Brandon, what's the deal with that role, Cindy? Did they pay you? <laughs> All right, we should have a couple. We have a couple more, Cindy, to give away. Three more, okay. Ed to... He's right over here. Ed That's to Blazer. Ed. How do you say that last name? Tablazon. Tablazon. From the Philippines. All right, Ed. Way to go. He's Thank one of you, our Bonhoeffer Cindy. guys. All right, got two more? John Garcia. John in the back. Of course, Cindy, it's always back and forth, back and forth. She's getting her... That's you're going right. to do your steps. I met William. William Butt. William, where are you? William, you finally paid to keep coming to this dumb seminar, man. You finally, <laughs> got, a, finally got a book. All right. That's it, Cindy? All right. All right have, let's, let's, uh, we've got a few moments before, before our break. We've got about 10 minutes. Let's have... Let's use this time wisely. You got some questions that Sandy and I or Cindy and Sandy and I can share? We don't have 10 minutes? We have two minutes. Yes, sir. Well, we both can share humility, 
teachability. And, and this, there's this unsettledness, this discontent with just doing church stuff, okay? And, and obviously, before all that, you're praying that God would bring these people across your paths, that you would encounter them in some way that might be out of the blue to you, but he's got a plan. Yeah, but really, you got to have humble hearts to do this. Sandy? Yeah. And, and you can use the, the current ministries in your church to, uh, you know, give people some opportunity to lead and, and kind of get a sense of, are they, are they excited about this? Do they want to participate? So you can create some ministries where it gives you a chance to watch, like we've done that with our men's ministry now, where we can see guys popping up. Yeah, prayer is huge, isn't it, William? That's just, God, I want to find them, and God wants you to find them. So, yeah. Yeah, I want to, I want to share with you something quick. Those of you that ran track, there's only, one, there's only one place that you could exchange the baton, right? It's called the what zone? The exchange zone. It's only 20 meters. If you don't exchange it in that 20 meters, you're done. You're disqualified. Mm. You know what that says to me? Jesus was right. We must work the works of him who sent who sent us as long as it's day because night is coming when no one can work. We've got a brief window to, to, to pass this baton on, but just don't let it drop. Look at this guy. Oh, oh. oh. any other questions? And they Sandy. can grab us during the break. Yeah, absolutely. You want to pray us out, buddy? You bet. All right. Father, thank you for these dear ones. Thank you that they've carved out time in their busy life to sit and think about making disciples. May you give them grace to have hope and stir them up for the next steps to the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. That's it for today's episode. Make sure to download the Bonhoeffer Project Founders book, and download the Discipleship Gospel Primer by Bill Hole and Ben Sobels. Go to discipleship.org/ebooks and look for the Discipleship Gospel Primer. Thanks for listening.